forge your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, Doc, in our last episode, we were talking about elite golf. And again, I think for some listeners, their experience of golf is playing in the, you know, the once a year, you know, company scramble. And there's a lot of maybe consumption of adult beverages and bev carts and not a lot of focus, right? But at the level that you work with players at major champion level and the PGA and the LPGA and 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 the most elite collegiate division one players, it's a very different game than what's played on a sort of lazy Saturday afternoon. And the margin of victory is one one hundredth of one percent to win that tournament after four rounds. And so we were talking about the things that come into that, the precision of the senses. We were talking about the power that comes in terms of managing your respiration and your energy levels. We were talking about the focus of the autonomic nervous system. And when we left off, you were, you were talking about something really intriguing, which is a principle you call point of action. And I've been thinking, I really want you to unpack that some more, not only with respect to golf, but how it plays into other sports as well. Yeah. And I think I'll even add a little bit about just into life in general, but this, this point of action, let's kind of review this concept, view what this principle is all about. Okay. So we're going to go back to the education that we've provided related to the autonomic nervous system, which is the system that manages the software system, which manages your entire uh, brain and body, and it is the regulator of energy. Okay. And so it's kind of like a thermostat in a sense. It's judging what's going on um, and it's making adjustments in the electrical current based on what it's perceiving. Okay. And it's really the people who can master the control and command of this autonomic nervous system that can manage all the ups and downs that go along with golf, but also go along with other sports at the pro or collegiate level and life in general. You know, you see people sometimes who they experience the same events, you know, the death or the loss of a job or whatever. And one person kind of gets stronger through that. And then the other person, their life just falls apart. And that's that dynamic resilience that goes back to the control of the autonomic nervous system. We see that on the golf course. Somebody hits a bad shot and it's over with. Like, you know, I have, you know, a couple of my friends that I golf with that I know when the round is over because it could have been on the, the third hole at the drive that, you know, goes into the woods. And then I have other friends I know, and there's other pro golfers out there that that shot becomes the catalyst to actually push them to another level, another gear. And, you know, I hope so, there's a couple of my people that I golf with that I hope they don't have that bad shot because I know what's going to happen. It's like revs their engine and they just become insane and they play so well. 
I play a lot of league and Saturday morning games or whatever. And it's just interesting exactly what you say. There are some guys that I play with that I know he's done. Stick a yeah. fork in him. He's done. We're on the 11th hole. From this point on, he's, he's finished. And I know that in my own life, my own game, that's been one of the things that I've really tried to work on is the ability to be resilient and to sort of be present, live in the moment, one shot to the next. But you have really helped people to figure that out. And then it's not just a mindset, right? So every, every amateur golf coach, everybody playing with their buddy says, hey, dude, shake it off, you know, walk it off, you know, take a deep breath, calm down. But what you've shown is that there's actual science going on here in terms of what's going on with the respiration, the nervous system, all these things. And a lot of times we can't just shake it off. No. Talk about the ways that, that, you know, we were talking about this in the last time too, you work with Bryson DeChambeau and other players, the data that you collect, maybe for those who didn't hear that last episode, the kind of data that, that allows a person to manage and learn how to manage those, those, uh, their, their body's responses. Yeah. So, um, the, we want to think again, like we talked about before is that our behaviors or our actions are kind of like an outer ring or a downstream kind of thing that happens. And then if you start to get a little bit further upstream, you'll then have your thoughts and emotions, right? And those tend to drive our behaviors, right? But then we go even further upstream and now we have the, the physiological, like what's going on? Like my heart's racing. And so then I start to sense that I feel anxious and then I engage in a behavior that might be anxiety producing, you know, it might be the yips in baseball, you know, or it could be, you know, completely shanking the shot left in golf or whatever that is. But that started at that physiological level. But let's go even deeper. Let's go to the neurological where it all starts. And so what we want to do is be able to measure at that level, measure the autonomic nervous system's data about itself. So we're looking at brainwave activity. Something that people don't realize is that your skin, which is the largest organ in your body, is super reactive. Almost when we've measured it, almost the same speed at which the neurological is happening. And you can measure through a very simple device on the finger or on the wrist when that skin conductance is getting overactivated. Um, looking at breathing, breathing belts that are wireless that we use, using it heart rate and how that's interacting. So heart rate monitors mixed in with that. Temperature. So temperature is so variable in relation to how stressed you are. And if I get stressed, my temperature will drop at my fingertips. When I'm relaxed, my temperature will rise at my fingertips. Well, guess where you're using your fingers and your hands? You're using that on the golf club, right? And the last thing I want to do is have an adjustment in my feel of the club because my autonomic nervous system has caused my skin which is very reactive, to react in a certain way, and then also cause my thermoregulation to change and make my hands not as regulated as they could be. So getting skin uh, conductance, getting temperature, and then also getting visual input. How is my binocular skills? Not how well can I 
see like 2020, but literally the muscles in my eyes and how are they working? And then lastly, lastly would be the EEG activity. And that would be the actual brainwave activity, how fast or slow it's going. I actually have an interesting uh, case study of a, a golfer that I worked with who his issue, the further he would get into a tournament, would be that his brain would actually start to check out and become slower and it would be harder for him to focus because as he got more familiar with the course, in a sense, his brain became more lazy. Like it was just, oh, I've seen this again, you know, and I've done this. And so he would start off really well and it wasn't anxiety. I thought initially it was going to be anxiety, but as we measured the brain, it was like, man, your brain is really downshifting way too much. And you almost look like you have ADHD on these last few rounds and we've started to develop a pattern where we'd say oh the more he plays this course the more disinterested he is and it was interesting this guy was also uh could have played college basketball college baseball he had scholarships in like four different sports he chose golf but it was always difficult for him to stay engaged in the game when it would last so long and it would get too slow. Um, and so being able to measure that in the brain is super important. So we want to work upstream with as much data as possible so that we can affect the downstream. That swing is so far downstream, but many times we just swing and swing and swing and swing and swing, but we're not doing anything with the upstream information. And so we wonder why we're sporadic under pressure. Wow. You know, when you talk about how the body has to execute what the mind wants to do, you and I were talking offline about how all, of all the sports that I at least have ever tried, I have never found one where the gap between what my brain knows I want to do, right? Because I've watched a thousand golf videos or even just a, a putt right? Where you're standing over it. And even maybe you've got a friend or a caddy or whatever is telling you, you know, roll it on this line. at sort of at this speed. And I know that I intellectually know what I need to do, but I can't make my body execute it. And that's that mind, brain, body connection that is so complex. And there are so many factors that go into it, right? Yeah. And that's what brings us back to this whole concept of point of action. Like what are the, what are the things that we want to do to line the whole thing up? Because it's almost like the circles. If you imagine the inner circles, the neurological, then the physiological, then the thoughts and the emotions, and finally the behaviors, instead of them kind of all working together, they've all just kind of been scattered all over the place and nothing's lining up correctly especially when I get stressed or I hit a situation where it's, it's not what I expected it to be, right? And so that point of action gives us something to fall back to that starts to realign all of these circles so that everybody's working together, not against each other. And so if you're not working with what your autonomic nervous system is doing, your reactions what you're performing behaviorally, in this case, golf, is not going to be as predictable. 
But if I can control what my muscles are doing, what my heart's doing, what my breathing's doing, what my pupils are doing, what my skin's doing, what my temperature's doing, and I have command and control of these, then if something sets me off, I can get right back on board. Like it's like these rails that we're riding on that I can just stick the wheels right back on the rails and I can get going again. And so then I become my ability to be present increases dramatically when I can line things up with this point of action. And that's where I would say that the swing has to start at the point of action. Um, And that point of action is the balancing of the parasympathetic and the sympathetic responses that occur within every breath that we take. So there's, so we've have a cycle, we have a cycle and if we're doing diaphragmatic breathing and ideally, you know, six times a minute, there's a 10 second breath cycle, right? Five seconds in, five seconds out kind of thing, 10 second cycle. And then our pulse is working with that too. So our heart is beating in conjunction with that. And then with an EEG, you can see your brain waves also. So all of these things are connected, pulse, respiration, uh, uh, brain activity, all of these things are synced. And what you're saying is in that 10 second cycle, there's an ideal sort of millisecond, an ideal moment when everything is going to be optimally synchronized to execute a physical action. Do you want to drill down on that a little bit more as it relates to golf and some other sports as well, right? Sure. Yeah, there's this optimal spot and uh, we have to kind of take a bigger picture or look at what's going on here. Take a 300 foot view is your brain, its job is to take care of your body. Okay, that's a number one. It really doesn't care about the white ball. Okay, it cares about the body. And so in every breath we take, we have a balance of stress and recovery stress and recovery. On the inhale, we're in a state of stress. On the exhale, we're in a state of recovery. If we can balance that in a very rhythmic way, we can control a lot of the other systems in what they're doing. But what happens is people aren't focusing on that and they're just like, well, I'm going to take a couple deep breaths or I'm going to do some breathing before I start the round. I'm talking about you're in this rhythm from the moment your feet hit the ground in the morning, right? And it doesn't feel right if you don't strike the ball at that spot in the breath when you exhale. So the moment you're starting to exhale, that's the trigger for you to start to pull that club back so that that point of action happens in the first third of the exhale. After you hit the ball, you don't stop this rhythm. Like most people will all of a sudden hold their breath once they strike the ball with the club up over their shoulder. Well, your body starts freaking out because you're not giving it oxygen. And you have to say, no, I'm going to, no matter what, I'm staying on this pattern because I got to get ready for the next shot. Okay. Now, this isn't just in golf. Okay. This is in other sports. I have a pro basketball player that I work with that is just uh, uh, famous for with the refs for uh, in basketball, you can toss the ball back when you're on the free throw line if you need a few more seconds. And normally, if you watch mo- most pro basketball players, the ref gives them the ball and they t- 
take their dribbles and they shoot. But this guy is known for the ref gives him the ball and he tosses it right back to the ref. And he does that because we've taught him that his shot needs to be based on point of action. And he knows it's going to take about three breaths for him to get his point of action because he's been running up and down the court. We, we would get so good at this that the moment the whistle blew and the play stopped, it was almost like a Pavlovian response for him that that whistle was kind of his bell, right? That instead of salivating, that whistle was start your, your breath and get ready because my free throw, I'm going to release that ball right after the exhale. Why am I going to do that? My pupils are going to be in a perfect position. Instead of being dilated like they were in the up breath, they're going to be constricted just perfectly so that my depth perception will be on. My muscles will be in a more relaxed state. The, the heart will be in a more relaxed state. Instead of upbeats, they'll be downbeats. Everything, the, the feel of the ball is going to be different because the blood flow is going to be different. The temperature is going to be different. The skin conductance, because I've given the body this powerful thing called oxygen, which it's longing for all the time. So what you're saying, right, is I take a deep breath in, whether I'm standing over the ball in golf to take a swing or to make a putt, or I'm going to make a free throw. I'm going to breathe in and just at the top of that, as I start the exhale, that's when I initiate the downswing, right? Whatever that is, whether that's the pitch. So I've worked with many pitchers, uh, collegiately done a lot of baseball. Um, and, uh, we're trying to time out even the strike of the ball with the bat, the pitch, uh, we're looking at, uh, um, penalty shots in soccer. We're looking at corner kicks in soccer, uh, quarterbacks, which I do a ton of work with. All right. I'm going to interrupt you here because I was actually kind of setting you up for something here. And I'm going to, I was going to try to set you up for a curveball because I was going to say that all the ones that you were mentioning, the golf swing, the free throw, the corner shot, whatever, right? The difference is with all of those, the athlete decides when to take the swing or when to make the shot. Yes. The difference is, and you've worked with, what, 10 of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL. You've worked with a lot of NFL quarterbacks. The difference is the quarterback can't exactly decide when to throw the ball, right? He, he's un, he has to throw it at the opportunity that he's got, right? Because he's, you know, he's got defenders coming out of him, and he's looking at the receiver, and he's having to time that. So he can't say, I'm going to wait three more seconds till I'm at the top of my you know, breath and starting an exhale, because by then, it's going to be over with, right? Yeah. So talk about that a little bit, how you work with quarterbacks to find that point of action. Yeah. And it's a lot like uh, I work with people on their three-point shot. You know, they're, they're, they're coming around and they're getting in position to get their three-point shot. Uh, they have a certain rhythm to their, their shot. They have a certain rhythm to the pass, the planning of the feet. You think, uh, you know, when we think about breath, we think, well, that's hard to time that. Um, and it is, and I tell my quarterbacks, it's, it doesn't have to be perfect, but what we're going to always do is we're going to practice in the perfect rhythm. So when I'm doing passes routes with receivers, I am going to be constantly inhale, exhale, release, inhale, exhale, release. Um, 
they don't, there isn't a lot of time that you have with the ball as it is. I mean, you only get a couple, couple seconds, right? Well, I, I actually looked this up the other day. Tom Brady is the quickest release in the NFL. 2.4 seconds is the average time from snap to Brady's release. 2.4. So that isn't even one full breath cycle or even half no. a breath cycle. And right? so where, where we're looking at that is you've, you've got five seconds on that exhale. Okay. Or four seconds. Well, I actually like the exhale to be sometimes a little bit longer. Uh, so it could be about a five second exhale. So what I want to make sure is, <laughs> and we'll put a breathing belt on a quarterback and we'll be able to see through Bluetooth. Well, what is he doing as he's going up to the center or he's getting ready? Guess what a lot of these guys are doing? They're holding their breath. <laughs> and you're like, please, <laughs> you know, like you're putting yourself in the worst position. So, well, he's using what, it because he's shouting Omaha, Omaha, yeah, exactly. or something. Right? <laughs> yeah. So the the thing is is to be cognizant of a of the time that I do have prior to this that I'm starting my rhythm, I'm getting my breath, I'm not doing something as ridiculous as holding my breath when I can't control that, and to realize, hey, I, I want to get one of these good breaths in right around the snap because I can, I can, I know I've given my body oxygen. It's kind of like a sequential formula that you want to think. And yes, you have a thought process. So it's an outer ring. You have a different emotion. You have a behavioral thing. You have some, some physiological things, but we want to think that everything starts with oxygen. It oxygen is the key. It's the power. 90% of my brain's energy is coming from oxygen. So I don't want to deprive it of oxygen or be in a state where I'm out of oxygen when I try to engage in something. And that, again, that can't be timed all the time, but I can practice that way and get in a rhythm of that so that when I am in that pressure situation, that I have a greater probability of not holding my breath, but working with the sequential oxygen first. So it might be break of the huddle. And as I'm going up to the center, I'm getting that deep breath and I'm starting that rhythm that I know this event, this motion is going to happen likely in a down breath. I mean, I've gone so far as this with actually, I uh, had the opportunity to work with um, some, some broadcasters, some public speakers that are pretty well known, even some musicians, some Grammy artists. and. We will always work with that. Our starting point is to get that oxygen before we respond or before the, uh, the song starts or if there's a place. A lot of singers are already trained that way. But especially people that are broadcasting, that somebody's asking a question or there's something going on, is that you first try to get the oxygen in. So the inhale and then as I'm doing the exhale, I'm going to start my response. And because at that moment, I'm going to have a greater chance of releasing a little bit more of alpha activity, which is a slow wave in the brain between 8 to 12 hertz, which is where all my creativity comes from. So when I'm in a sympathetic, out of oxygen uh, space in my breath, I have a greater chance of releasing fast brain waves. But if I've given my body full amount of oxygen and I'm on the exhale, I'm going to have a greater chance of releasing more alpha, which is where creativity, imagination, innovation starts. And so I want to be on point. I don't want to be in a stress state. And so we'll always get that 
breath started, not just one breath, but a series of breaths, and then hold that second, get that inhale, and let's go. Or the person in the board meeting, and they got to give a response. Think about your oxygen. Always be thinking about that. And when am I going to respond? Point of action goes across all kinds of things. That could be in an argument or discussion where I want to be thinking, I want to be the best me. I want to be present in this. And that's going to be dependent on my oxygen intake. Okay, let me throw you another curveball just because you I like think... You like doing that, don't I you, I do, Greg? I do. That's Come my on, jo- take it easy on That's me. my job here, man. I try to set you up to like tee up the ball here so you can <laughs> knock it out. Look, here, here's, a, here's the thing, right? I mean, I love sports and I love the yeah. diversity of sports. I mean, I'm just, you know, rabid sports fan on this stuff. Okay, so I'm looking at this and I know you've worked with so many NFL teams at all positions, right? So I'm looking at the quarterback and to some degree he has control because he obviously calls the snap, he initiates the play. But he's going to throw to that wide receiver and that wide receiver's got to run a route. You've worked with some top NFL wide receivers and he's got to react. He doesn't get to sort of time things. He has to time it. And then think about the defensive cornerback or safety who has to come up and try to swat that ball and intercept the down. So now they're in a, in a reaction mode. So how do they control that point of action? Because they sort of can't dictate when that's going to be. Yeah, and, and that's understandable. And so what we want to really look at is how we're managing energy in general. So I think, like we talked about earlier, golf is like an extreme in this in that you've got a four-hour round, but you're really only striking the ball for hopefully under two minutes, you know, a minute and a half, right? But think about football, right? Think about baseball. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Think about um, basketball, right? These are moving sports, but how much is that cornerback, that one position, that cornerback, really in action? Is he really activated? And my question wouldn't be what's going on during that moment in the play, but how has he prepared himself for that moment in the play? What's he doing when the whistle blows and the play is over? That should be just like I talked about the the basketball player. That should be almost Pavlovian for him, that that whistle is a signal to get back on my breathing, put myself back on the rails, get on the rails, inhale, exhale, get myself prepped so that I can react. It's an energy conservation. You have a finite amount of energy, okay? Don't waste it on other things. Then what happens when the defense isn't in? Like, what are you doing to prep yourself? How are you getting your airways nice and open? Like, Sometimes my, my golfers, basketball players, I have them get their hands up on their hips so they can open their rib cage so that it's available. I mean, we do that when we're really out of breath, right? And our body kind of almost does that instinctually uh, as a protective mechanism. But what about if we could leverage that thing to just help me even when I'm not out of breath to get more oxygen, to release the strain on the rib cage, the shoulders against my lungs? so that I can open those airways up. How am I sitting on the sidelines if I'm sitting on the sidelines? What am I doing with these rhythms of breath that are almost like putting coins in the bank? (laughs) 
You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, I'm just wasting coins. I'm like throwing them all over the place. And now I get out there and I can't be where I need to be, which is fully present in that moment as a cornerback or a linebacker or a receiver. So if we're looking at a spectrum of athletes, maybe like at the one end of the spectrum, like you say, is the golfer who can decide when to take the swing, right? Stand on the tee box or whatever, stand over a shot, has a almost 100% control over the point of action in terms of when to initiate his action, right? And then at the other end is the purely reactive athlete. And maybe that's where the cornerback or the safety, I mean, he doesn't even know where the ball is coming, right? He's in just in a brief moment is reacting to that or the hockey goalie, yes, right? Who's got to just react to something coming at him. But what you're saying is for that highly reactive athlete, when they have done all of the things you're doing, before that moment of reaction, because that reaction time thing, the, the cornerback is only going to be up in the air trying to swat that ball down for half a second, yes. right? Um, and so, but he can be doing all kinds of things for the minute or the minutes leading up to that play to give him that reactive power. Right? Yes. And the other thing in the whole precision power and focus paradigm is the strength of the, the coordination of the visual input, especially for a cornerback or a receiver or a goalie. So we'll, we'll measure uh, what's called saccadic movement in the eyes. So when your eyes are tracking uh, or looking, they tend to like, you need to be, you're not just, it's not a fluid movement, but you're kind of like doing these eye stops and zeroing in on a target. And then the eyes move a little bit more and zero in. And the saccadic movement, you can measure the speed of that. And then uh, also the accuracy of that. And um, we'll see, we'll train individuals how to, how to improve the speed of this as well as accuracy. And we'll do things like somebody who is a 0.55 seconds in their saccadic movement, we'll get them down to a 0.39. Okay. That's, uh, that is huge when it comes to sports. What that extra, 15.15 uh, that we're giving them is going to do to their response time. Okay. Um, I know you've kind of analyzed some of this in, in baseball, the speed of the pitch and that kind of stuff. And so if I can give you like 0.16 faster <laughs> in your saccadic movement, and then also we work on accuracy of that. So it's funny, I've got a couple different quarterbacks that I think of when I talk about this. And there's one quarterback that when I first started working on his saccadic movement is really, really fast, but he's very inaccurate. Okay. Then I've got another quarterback who his saccadic movement is slow, but he's a hundred percent accurate. And you know what? I don't want to be either one of those. I want to be in the middle where I'm not going to be a hundred percent accurate. But can I be 90% and have super fast saccadic movement? And that changes my ability to make decisions and all the downstream things that come from the visual fields working faster. While you were talking, I was quickly looking up a vocabulary word here. Proprioception. Yeah, Proprioception, yeah. right? So it's the awareness of where my body is in space, yes. right? Yes. So I watch this this cornerback who's kind of up in the air and moving and trying to align his body with the incoming ball to intercept it or swat it down. 
or for that matter, even the other end, the, the, the golfer who's standing over it and making sure that his body is aligned cro- properly. But the only input, as you said before, the primary input that is my is my eyes, right? I mean, he doesn't have any other senses that he's going to use jumping up for that ball, his eyes. And he's got to, through his eyes, judge where his body is in space. How complex is that? Yeah, it's funny. I watched a um, thing a while back about how they made Gatorade and the, the scientists who made Gatorade. And he was just an avid from University of Florida, avid uh, football fan. And he, he made the statement that the best physicists, the people who understand physics the best, are athletes. Because what they have to do in understanding timing and arc and speed, these are like mathematical formulas. Now, they probably can't do that formula. Maybe there's a few out there that can. They can't do that, but their body is reacting in space and time with such accuracy as a precise mathematical formula that involves this this physics of these moving objects and their body moving. There's that great catch that we've all seen with Odell Beckham, right? Where he catches (laughs) that one, right? You know that? Yeah. And you start thinking about what the heck is his body doing in that moment in time? Well, I'll tell you one thing that he has to have in that moment in time, and that is his visual skills. Like he's not going to do that with his eyes closed, right? So it, it starts there, but then it starts with this downstream effect of the body being a calm state of readiness because we are in command and control of the autonomic nervous system. Okay, here's the thing that gets me in terms of that kind of perception and visual perception and how it gets imprinted in like milliseconds in real time is the moment after he catches it, he's got to get his foot in bounds. He's got to get two feet in bounds. And how many times have we seen this in slow motion from 18 different angles? Unbelievable. Where the guy who catches the ball up here and then has the the ability sort of know where the sideline is because his body is stretched out up in space. He's three, four, you know, he's three, four feet, his feet are three, four feet off the air, right? His body is, his head is up there. His eyes are in this helmet up there, eight, nine feet in the air. And he's twisting backwards and he, and he remembers where the sideline is to get one foot, two feet, uh, two feet in. And the ability for his eyes to have that tracked with his brain and coordinate that with all the parts of his body. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, that's talk about inner armor. Yes. And that takes a finely tuned nervous system, visual system, power supply, managing of the autonomic nervous system to be able to do that over and over again, not just once, but become very predictable with that. I mean, it's estimated that the most complex thing that our brain does is movement, okay, is is our movement. You know, we think of a lot of different things, but our ability to move, how we move, we move on the on our feet, okay? If you try to create a, a robot to do that, it can't do it because 90% of the time we're on our feet, we're literally falling. We're in a falling position, but our equilibrium 
you know, our, we're, we're taking that and we're figuring out how to balance. So we stay in this balanced state. There's no way in the world we should be able to walk, much less run, much less tip two toes in bounds as I'm lying horizontally in the air. That is the, just a perfect example of the beauty and wonder of the human brain and what it can do. You know, animals don't do that. Animals are athletic, okay? But their control and mastery of what we see in, in these awe-inspiring things, these draw-dropping moments, goes back to this amazing thing called the brain and the autonomic nervous system that controls this stuff. And what you have dedicated your career uh, with Royer Neuroscience, Inner Armor to doing is helping everybody to perform to their potential. You know, I'll never hit a ball like Bryson DeChambeau. I'll never catch a ball like, you know, Odell Beckham, right? Yeah. But I can maximize what I'm capable of. And if everybody could, could realize a little bit more of their potential, strengthen that inner armor, you know, get a little more precise, a little more powerful, a little more focused, 5, 10, 15% better is the difference between me, what, being successful or not, right? In Absolutely. whatever I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's this greatest asset that we have, this human brain, right? And I think we talk about it in sports because, you know, it, it's so obvious to us, especially if you've ever been around a pro golfer or, you know, watch that. You're like, wow, how are they doing this? And it goes back to this wonder of the brain and what the brain can do if we give it the right information on itself and to get people to get you know, 10% stronger in their attention, 20% stronger in their sleep, 15% stronger in their oxygen intake and developing of their immune system. These things are life-changing in relationships and ultimately life-changing for the world if we can just maximize this thing to its potential. Absolutely. And that's why you help everyone from professional athletes to ordinary people to perform at their potential. So thank you, Doc. And we're excited about some of the elite college golfers that you'll be out assessing yeah. here in the weeks to come. So can't wait to yeah. hear some stories about that. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. We love the golf stuff and working with the collegiate golfers. Great stuff. Thanks, Doc. Yeah. See ya. Yep. Bye. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com.